Well, good morning, family. It's so good to be here with you this morning. Uh, normally, when I say good morning to people, they say it back to me. You guys may have grown up differently. Good morning, family. It's so good to, there we go. It's so good to be with you this morning. My name is Xavier Maryland, and I have the privilege of pastoring our Missouri City location. And so I'm here visiting with you this morning. And if you're joining us online or from our Missouri City campus, let me say a very special welcome to you. We're so glad that you've decided to worship with us. I'm away this week, but Missouri City, I have some news that I want to share with you, and I'm back next week, so I'll see you next week. Uh, hopefully, your new year has been off to a great start. Uh, mine has. My, my wife and I, we sit down about once a year and have a really long meeting, if you will. Uh, we just kind of review the, the previous year, and we talk all about goals. We talk about how our marriage has been, what we want our marriage to look like. Now, we have a one-year-old, so we spend a lot of time talking about him, how we keep him alive, how I stop from like, you know, being upset with him when he's now disrespectful because he can do that now. It's one of the things they grow up and learn along the way. And so all of these things we do. Uh, part of that conversation is we talk about our goals and we talk about what we call rollover goals. Now, rollover goals are kind of like rollover minutes, Pastor Johnny. And if you don't know what rollover minutes are, you're just a little too young. It's okay. I can say that now. Uh, you're just a little too young. Let me tell you about rollover minutes. Uh, back in the day, back in my day, if you will, well, what would happen is you get a cell phone and, and rather than paying for like an unlimited plan, you'd have a certain amount of time you can talk on this cell phone. And, and anytime you didn't spend talking, you could actually roll over into the next month. And, and so what happens is I sometimes have some rollover goals. And so I, I tried to do it a year before. It didn't necessarily work out the way that I thought. So I just roll it over. We just re-up. We just do it all over again. For example, uh, last year I had a goal of getting back in shape, uh, getting my six pack back, uh, not the one from college. I never had one, the one from my dreams. I want that one back. And, uh, or maybe it's from my wife's dreams. Whoever's dream it was, I want it. And so I had, it didn't work out. I didn't go to the gym as much. I didn't eat right. And so we just roll it over. We just re-up. We just put it back at the top of the list of the goals uh, of next year. And here's what I'm learning about my goals and about your goals. Whether they're the goals you've already set or whether they're rollover goals, here's what I know. I know that anything in life that's worth accomplishing is normally preceded by a lot of hard work. That that six-pack isn't going to come out of nowhere as much as I wish it would. That the goals that you have about your family, about your marriage, about your business, about your life, about your 2024, about my 2024, they don't happen without some hard work in front of them. Now, some goals are bigger than others, and so they require more work. But anything you do in life that's going to be worthwhile is going to be preceded by some type of work. And this is true for the goal that my wife and I set this year. And so we were reading through the Bible and we were trying to figure out, well, God, what do you want our 2024 to look like? And we we're trying to find a, a foundation scripture that, that's going to set the pace for our entire year. And I want to share it with you. The, the scripture that we decided on and that we picked for us is actually in Matthew chapter six, verse number 25. Now in Matthew chapter six, verse number 25, we find the words of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but when Jesus is preaching, 
I tend to listen. You don't have to listen to my preaching, but when Jesus is preaching, I'm listening. And so Jesus is in the middle of this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, and what's happening is he is preaching and he is turning the world upside down. These people are hearing messages that they've maybe never even heard before. Jesus is preaching things like, hey, if you want to be great, you should actually be a servant. Jesus is preaching things like, hey, I know you have heard that it's been said that, you know, if you commit adultery, that's wrong. But I'm telling you, if you even look at somebody the wrong way, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Jesus is turning things upside down. He said, hey, I'm telling you that if somebody strikes you on your cheek, you should actually turn the other cheek. And so people are blown away by the things that Jesus is preaching. And then he preaches this way of living, this, this, this worry-free life that, that my wife and I wanted to make our anthem for 2024. And we find that anthem in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus says this. I'd love for you to read it with me. He says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Pause before we keep going. Don't you want to live your life like that? Wouldn't you love, you already have things. If you were here last week, then Pastor Johnny told you that 2024 is going to come with a fight that there are going to be some struggles in front of you. Wouldn't you like to walk into the rest of your year with the words of Jesus echoing in your heart and in your mind? Don't worry about your everyday life. Not saying that there won't be problems or troubles or struggles, but wouldn't you like to be in the middle of those settled and trusting in God? That's, that's what my wife and I wanted. Matthew chapter six, verse 25 says, hey, don't worry about your everyday life. And then he doubles down. Remember, he's saying things that are so contrary to the culture that people are like, how can I even live like that? And he says, don't worry about your everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Then he says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest, or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. Then he asks this question, and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And family, we read this scripture, and this is what I wanted my 2024 to be like. Um, God, this is, this is exactly what I needed. We have so many things going on in our life right now, in our personal lives, in the lives of our family. Most of you know that our nearest family members in North Carolina, we have a one-year-old that puts a strain there with us, either them traveling or us traveling and trying to figure it all out. There's health issues on both sides of our families. We lost a bunch of people this last year. There are financial goals that we want to hit. We've been considering, even for me personally, I like to be transparent. We're considering whether with this kid, does my wife come home? Home. Does she go back to work? She teaches special ed. She's super passionate about it. So she has this struggle of her career and her calling that God has put in her life. But also we have this son that she wants to spend as much time around. And so in all of these decisions, we're always stressed. God, are we doing the right thing? Are we making the right choice? And so we wanted this anthem to be God. I want my 2024 to be, don't worry. I want my 2024 to be, I'm so dependent and trusting in God for my provision. I'm so dependent and leaning on God for what I need him to do in my life that I'm saying daily, God, I'm looking around at the birds. I'm looking around at the animals. I'm a, a part of the scripture later on. Jesus says, hey, consider the lilies in the field. They don't toil, spin, perform, but, but people aren't dressed like the lilies. And I'm trying to say, God, I want you to take care of me the way that you've provided for your creation. And how 
much more valuable am I? And then here's what I found, family, and and I've been wrestling with what I found and what I've discovered about this scripture for the past few months, actually. And actually, the reason I'm preaching it, let me tell you how how it works. Side note, pause from the sermon. I, I, I preach things sometimes because I've been struggling with them, and I'm sick of struggling by myself. So I preach it, and now we're all struggling, okay? And so now everybody got to wrestle with it because I'm struggling with it. And so uh, that's the luxury I get. But the point is, I realized that this worry-free life that Jesus wanted me to live, this worry-free life that Jesus wanted you to live, just like the rest of my goals, was preceded by a lot of hard work. Pastor Xavier, how do you know that? What what, what is making you think that this is going to be preceded by some work? He just said uh, that he cared about us and all those things. Look at how verse 25 starts. Jesus says this, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, which means Jesus is saying, hey, because of all the things I just told you, this is a sermon, because of part one, two, and three of the sermon, that's why I'm telling you don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Jesus is assuming that you and I have heeded his precautions and warnings leading up to this moment. And as a result of living the life that Jesus has just laid out for us, now we can trust because we have done these things that, oh, God, my life is in your hands. And so I said, okay, God, I want to live like this. Let me go look at the scriptures beforehand. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you in advance, you're not going to like what you find because I didn't like what I found. It was convicting. It was a struggle for me. And as a matter of fact, so you don't have to be blindsided by it, I'm actually going to read it to you like I wrote it first, and then we'll go back and read the scriptures together. Is this, that Jesus implied, oh my goodness, Jesus implied that trusting God financially is a gateway to everyday trust. No more amens. I didn't say amen either when I read it. You, you don't believe me. I, I want to I show it to you. Look at Matthew chapter number six. Remember, we just read verse 25. And so skip back up to the beginning of Jesus' thought at verse 19. We wrote it down there, but go read it in your own Bible. I promise you, I didn't make it up. I wouldn't have arranged it like this if I could. Look at verse 19. Jesus starts this whole passage, this part of the sermon with this point. First thing, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. But store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus implied that your and my generosity, that your and my tithing, that your and my treating our money, finances, and possessions the way that God wants us to treat them is a gateway to living a life completely dependent on God. Let me show you. I'm going to keep reading. Verse 22, he starts talking about how we see our, or verse 21 rather, he says, here's why, wherever your treasure is, the desires of your heart will be also. 
Verse 22, he says, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye, that means your perspective is healthy, your whole body is healthy. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. We're going to come back to that. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and you will love the other. You will be devoted to one and you will despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Verse 25, which is where this whole thing started. That is why I tell you not to worry about what you will eat or drink. Oh my goodness, I want to go home. The Bible's still there when I get there, but I'm just telling you, this is how convicting this is. That, that Jesus is implying that what happens is that your and my financials, our, our, our possessions, the things that bind us here on earth, they pull our hearts, they pull our minds, they pull our perspective away from a heavenly kingdom perspective that God wants us to see. And Jesus is essentially saying this, you can either choose to see your entire life, meaning everything that you have owned and have been given, your career, your time, your money, your kids, your possessions, your treasures. You can choose to see all of that the way that God is asking you to see it, or you can see it the way you want to see it. But Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to live a worry-free life, if you want to be completely dependent on God, it starts by treating your money and finances the way that God wants you to treat them. Why is that, Pastor Xavier? I'll show you how my, my brain thinks about it. Uh, I pretty much think like this, that, that Jesus says, hey, in your life, somebody or something wears the crown. And he's pretty much saying that whoever controls your and my finances wears the crown of life. That whoever controls your and my possessions, the things that we depend on for our food, water, shelter, whoever does that makes the decisions and wears the crown. That's why he says, hey, you cannot serve two masters because there is only one crown of your life. And let me tell you, with us, rather, here's what we often do sometimes, here's what I do. Well, what happens is, rather than giving God the crown of my life, and saying, God, you do with my life what you want to do with it. Uh, rather than giving God the crown of my life and saying, God, however you want me to live, however you want me to serve, whatever you want me to do, I want you to be the crown of my life. What happens is we wear the crown ourselves. And we make ourselves the king of our life. And we make the decisions and we make the choices and we do the things and we set the goals and we don't bring God in. We don't incorporate God. We just say, God, we, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing, not God. Let me be a part of what you're doing. And the issue with you wearing the crown is that whoever wears the crown has the responsibility to sustain. And this is why our lives become dominated by worry. Because you go, look at what I've built. I have to sustain it. Because deep down, what happens is you and I think that we built it in the first place. 
You, you look at your bank account and the number keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and then you want to work more and more and more and more and more hours and then you take time away from your family, you take time away from your church, you take time away from the assignment that God has called you to do. Why? Because you say, I built it, I must maintain it. It is my responsibility. Whoever wears the crown not only makes the choices, but they must sustain, which means, God, if I give you the responsibility of my family, of my finances, of my time, of my life, the worry is taken off of me because I no longer make the decisions, which means I no longer am the person who I'm trusting for the results. When I give the crown to God, I trust God with the decision, so I trust God with the results. I told you I got a one-year-old at the house. He is going to eat in about an hour or so. He eats at around 1130, and then they're going to hightail it to try to get up here. But the point is, he, he, he eats at like 1130. And let me tell you something about this little, um, I almost called him something different, this little boy. I'll tell you something about this little boy. Like I said, he's on the other side now, so I don't have a baby anymore. I have a toddler. And so uh, let me tell you something about him. He is not concerned about where that food comes from. He is not concerned about any way that I had to provide it or how much I had to work or anything like that. All he knows is that 11, between 11.15 and 11.30, a meal will appear on his plate. And he can't speak yet, but if we wait too long, at 11.37, that little boy looks at us and he goes, where, 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 where is this stuff at? And I put it in front of him and, and he is magically provided for. And then when he's done, here's the worst part. He doesn't just stop eating. When he's done, he throws it all. And so he's like, hey, I'm done. Dismiss. Get this out of my face. I don't want it anymore. But the point is, he is 0% concerned about where it comes from. Why? Because he knows it's not his responsibility to provide it. And so what happens in your life and in my life is that when we surrender the crown to God and when we realize, God, everything that I have, you have given me in the first place. I am an understeward of the things that you have already provided for me. What happens is we no longer have to worry about the responsibility to sustain or maintain. God, all I have to do is make sure that I take care of what you have provided. And that means when you give more, I steward more. When you give less, I steward less. Regardless, I have learned to say, it is well with my soul. And so the key to a worry-free life is unlock the gateway is actually through our finances. And so here's what I want to show you. I want to show you Jesus kind of broke this sermon down. It's actually listed like this on your, uh, on your uh, sermon notes. Jesus broke this sermon down into three different shifts that you and I need to make in order to shift to a complete dependence on God, all of which are unlocked by his first statement of don't store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What we believe giving is, we believe that giving is a 10%. Is whatever I make, 10% of that goes directly back to God. But for some of us, we're not there yet. And so your giving might start with, as God blesses me, I give some back to God. Wherever it is that you are on your journey, and for some of us, that'll be more. But Jesus says that all of these shifts in your life are unlocked through your finances. And, and I, and I want to prove it to you. Mind you, once again, if right now what I'm saying you are offended by, you just want you to be reminded, do not be offended at Pastor Xavier. I didn't write none of this. 
All of this is what Jesus said. So if you want to be mad at somebody, be mad at Jesus, uh, not at me, because you go home and pray to him and do all that stuff. Okay. First of all, verse 19 says this. This is part one of Jesus' sermon. Uh, this is the way to a worry-free life. That is what your fill-in-the-blank is. This is what Jesus says, the way to a worry-free life. And the first one is a heart shift. A heart shift. Everybody say heart shift. Here's why Jesus wants us to give and be generous with our money. Uh, verse 19, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth eat them, rust destroys, and where thieves break in and steal. Store for yourself treasures in heaven. That's talking about giving, tithing, being generous, making a kingdom impact with your money. Because here's why. Wherever your treasure is, the desires of your heart will be also. Your heart and my heart will follow what we treasure, not the other way around. And so God puts our heart in attachment to the things that we treasure. So wherever that is, you will automatically care about those things more. Uh, let me prove it to you. Uh, when you had kids, when I had kids, I didn't care anything about a school system before I had kids. I didn't care what the school system had going on outside of being a student pastor. As long as the students were safe and learning something, it was fine. Now that I have a son, because I treasure my child, I care about the school system, about the daycares, about all of those things. I didn't care in, in our previous neighborhood, neighborhood, we didn't have an HOA, so I didn't care what they did in the neighborhood. Now that I send the HOA check to my neighborhood every single week, I want to know what they're doing with it. I want to know what grass are you cutting? Because it only costs me this much to cut my own grass and you're not providing anything for me. I want to know, I don't have a pool in my neighborhood. I got a park. I know all our money ain't funding that dusty little park that y'all got over there. And, and what I'm saying is why? Because you naturally know, I naturally know when your money is going somewhere, your heart will naturally follow it. And so God says one way you can shift your heart and lead your heart is by storing up treasures in heaven, doing things with your money, finances, possessions, time that make a kingdom and heavenly impact. And he says that when you and I start doing things that make a kingdom heavenly impact, our heart will naturally shift towards things of the kingdom. That if you look in your life and my life right now, if you're struggling to make decisions that honor and follow God, what you may notice, I'm not, I don't know, by the way, if you're new here, we don't know who gives and who doesn't. I'm looking at all of you. I have no idea what you make, if you give, how much you give. None of our pastors know. We don't get a list every week that says, hey, such and such is a tither and such and such is not. There's not a single pastor in our church that knows that information. So don't feel like we know or manipulating you or anything like that. I'm trying to actually set you free through what Jesus said. And, but what happens is if you in your life right now are noticing that you are struggling to prioritize kingdom things. Just look, God, where is my time going and where is my money going? And I guarantee you care more about those things than you do anything else. And so God says, if you will spend your time and your money, your treasures in heavenly places, making a kingdom impact, you will notice that your heart will naturally follow you will notice that you start to care more about kingdom things. Here's the, the first fill in the blank. God wants our desires to align with his. That's why he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Because what you'll realize is everything else is temporary. Let me tell you, 
if, if I store up enough money, and, and I'm, once again, don't hear me say don't save money at all. I'm saying when you are saving your money, make sure that you are doing it with the idea of a kingdom impact. Because let me tell you, if I store up enough money to send my son to college debt-free, but I don't instill in him the gospel of Jesus Christ, he can be the most successful human being to ever walk the planet. And at the end of his life, nothing he does ever matters. Because he dies just like the rest of us die. And after a generation or two, he is completely forgotten, no matter how big of his impact is. And at the end of the day, he will spend an eternity either in heaven or in hell. And if I have been spending my entire life investing in him, that the only things that matter are how much money is in his bank account, how big his house is, how successful his car is, how good his wife looks, all of those things, then what has happened is I have made him focus on things that one day will rust and one day will go away. But if I invest in him heavenly qualities and values, the impact he makes for generations never leaves. God wants us to value a kingdom impact or an eternity over the things we look at that are temporary. Uh, number two is this, that my heart and my treasure will always end up in the same place. Once again, wherever you look, just look. Where are you spending most of your time and your money and your resources? You naturally will care more about those things. You will spend more time on those things. You know this. It happens to you all the time. You weren't even a car person until you bought the new car. And now you're out there wiping the wheels down and you shine and you're going through the car wash. You got a dollar thing here. I got the unlimited wash for a dollar. And next month, I'm going to come back and cancel it because I ain't paying $40. I'm going to go down to the basic. But then, I, and so once again, mind you, I keep reminding you this. I'm only preaching what I'm struggling with myself. It happens to all of us. We naturally drift towards being tethered to things that really don't matter. What happens is we get our heart together and then our heart follows God through our generosity and through our obedience to God and how we manage our money. And then the second thing that shifts after that is our perspective. God wants us to shift our perspective. In verse 22 and verse 23, Jesus says it like this. He says, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye, that's your perspective, is healthy, your whole body will be filled with light. If you see money, if you see finances, if you see possessions the right way, your whole life is going to be filled with light. It's going to unlock it for you. When you start making a kingdom investment and when you start making kingdom decisions and when you set your heart on a kingdom perspective, you will see the entire world differently. All of a sudden, your job now is not about your upward earning income. Your job becomes about, God, how do I introduce my coworkers to Jesus Christ? All of a sudden, the neighborhood you live in is not just about who has the nicest grass and yard and biggest house and all of those things. It's God, how many of these people know you? And what happens is as you start investing in the kingdom with your time and your energy, you see the world differently. Ask anybody who's ever been on a missions trip where they go overseas and they devote a week of their life to investing in the kingdom. They come back and their whole world is different. Our whole life is different. Because once you get out of the selfish rat race that we all run, you start to see that life is bigger than you. Life is bigger than me. And that perspective shifts us and changes us from the inside out. But it starts by aligning our hearts with God and then shifting our perspective to see what God wants us to see. 
remember, Jesus said that your eye, your perspective is the lamp of the body. He said, but it can be darkened, meaning that you and I see the world and see money and see our finances the wrong way. What is the wrong way? We use our money to build our own personal little kingdoms. And let me tell you two things. Oh my goodness, I'm so convicted. Let me tell you two things that ruin and taint our perspective. The first one is this. The first one is exposure. Exposure darkens our perspective. Let me tell you something really quickly. Remember at the end of that scripture, Jesus says, if the light that you believe and the I believe that I have is darkness, then how deep is the darkness we're in? He's given a warning. He said, hey, if I'm reading, and this is what I was doing, if I'm reading and I'm trying to think of ways that I can be completely selfish with my money and get around having to be generous and having to send money outside of my household, but I still think I'm inside the will of God, if the light you think you have is darkness and that I think I have is darkness, it's even darker than he could ever imagine that I could ever imagine. The things of the, of the kingdom become foolish to you and me when we can't see a kingdom perspective. And what happens is we get exposed to things and we get fixated on them. I'll tell you how it happened to me. I grew up in North Carolina in a small town, smaller than Sugar Land, smaller than Rosenberg. Not many people there. There's not much money there. The per capita income is pretty low and all those things. I didn't grow up with much money. And so when, when my wife and I got married, uh, we got married really inexpensive. I set a, a budget for our wedding. Uh, it was like five grand was a, the budget for our wedding. L let me tell you what that included. Honeymoon, venue, food, wedding dress, all of that stuff. I was not playing. I was broke. And... Uh, and I said, God, well, you know, we're going to try to get, oh, and then we told everybody, hey, don't bring us any wedding gifts whatsoever. I don't want no toasters, no ironing boards, no forks and spoons. I don't want them ugly little decorations you bring in. If you want to bring me a gift, bring me some money. I'm telling you. We got student loan debt. We got all types of stuff. We trying to dig ourselves out of it. You can help. And nobody brought a single gift. The gifts that they did bring, if you're watching online, I don't know if you know this, the gifts that they did bring, we left them in North Carolina. We gave them all away. I don't want this. Or I pawned them off or something. I don't remember. But the point is, this is where we grew up. And so what happened was right when we got married, we had an opportunity to move into a house that a family member had. And y'all, I thought it was the nicest thing in the world, right? Some of you wouldn't think it was nice. It just had the normal little like laminate floor that you kind of roll out the normal little like brown countertops and the, the different, had like the wood panel walling. And, but it was like my own. I was like, oh my goodness, this is the nicest thing I could ever have. Shortly after that, I graduated. I moved to North Dallas into that uh, Plano Frisco area. And you see where I'm going. And I moved into, yeah, I moved into this apartment and the apartment had like these hardwood floors and these granite countertops. And then thing I had never seen, the toilet was in a different room than the rest of the bathroom. It was the craziest thing I'd ever seen in my life. I was like, this is like a separate little throne over here. Like, this is wonderful. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is the nicest thing I've ever had in my life. And I was like, I don't know how I ever lived without this. This is the new standard. So then when I started shopping for a new apartment, I wouldn't even go into an apartment unless the toilet was in a different space. I'm like, I don't, I don't know how I could take a shower in the same place that I do that stuff in. I want my toilet in a different place because I was exposed. And then let me tell you what happened. I went to somebody else's house. They lived in like a 3,200 square foot house. But let me tell you what happened. It was two stories. But instead of just being the up and down stairs, the two story, the living room, it won a, it won a living room. It was a great room. 
That's what it said on the paper. It said great room. And I walked into the house, and I was trying not to look like I'd never been anywhere. I'm looking around. God, oh, my goodness. I'm like, I, and, I, and I walked out of the house, and I said, Francine, I'm poor. <laughs> so this apartment is not nice. This is not cool. My granite countertops at the apartment, they stop right here. Their granite countertops, the waterfall, they go all the way to the ground. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is gorgeous. I don't know how I ever lived without this. And then what happened is the more I got exposed, the more it may, I, and I kept chasing God, well, I, I want this. It got to the point when we were house shopping back in North Dallas, I wouldn't walk into a house without granite countertops. I told my, my, told my uh, realtor, don't even show it to me. And I thought about it. I said, who am I becoming? Because the exposure continued to push my perspective further away from what, married, what, what mattered. The second thing is comparison. I, I was comparing my life to all of these other people, and, and, I, and I knew it was possible. Let me tell you once again, this is something I've been struggling with. Coming out of college, I had a best friend who's best man at my wedding and vice versa and all of those things. And at the time, I was making a decision. My undergrad is in business admin. So is his. Out of college, he, I had an offer to go to a church and start ministry immediately. He had an offer to go to Amazon. He said, hey, man, what are you going to do? I said, man, I'm thinking I'm leaning towards this whole ministry thing. When I tell you, this guy has taken the fast track to being uh, one of the top executives at a like Fortune 2 type company. No, I'm joking. But I mean, it is a huge company and his earning potential is more than you could imagine. And the point is, because I'm looking at his life sometimes and I'm going, God, I could have done that for a couple of years. God, I could have started ministry 10 years from now and still made an impact. I could have done all of this. And the comparison gets you and I to stop focusing on kingdom perspective and now what happens is he and I have conversations and, and for a moment, my brain will start thinking about what I could do for my family and what I could do personally if I made the money he made, if I went to work for him, if I do, I have all the capabilities that he has and all of those things. And what happens is I stop thinking about the kingdom impact. I stop thinking about eternity and I get fixated on what I want in the moment and it darkens our perspective. And it happens to you and I. The first time, some of you right now, let me just tell it to you. I'm not preaching it. I'm gonna just preach it how I wrote it. I know that my perspective has been darkened when luxuries become necessities. Golly, y'all. Golly. Golly. Listen to me. Listen to how this happens. A while ago, I had to, I shared with you guys about a year and a half ago that eventually I was gonna have to go buy a new car because it was coming up on that time again. And I kept telling myself, none of the luxuries, just the necessities, just the necessities, just the necessities. But then I remember, man, in the wintertime, those heated seats, like they just, man, they just hit different. And then what happened is, this was the mistake I made. I got in somebody else's car and they didn't have like a little sunroof. They had like the panoramic moonroof. And I was like, oh my goodness, I laying back. I was like, man, you could go camping in here. And I'm just looking. And y'all, it is, and now I'm like, okay, I go to the store and I'm like, hey, uh, um, uh, which model do you have that has the panoramic moonroof? I just want to know which one is like, we actually don't make those. Okay, thank you. I don't want to talk to you no more. And, and, and y'all, after I read this stuff and thought about it, I'm like, this happens to me all the time. You and I get exposed and the things that should be luxuries become necessities and then we overspend and all of those things. And then we use the things in our life that are luxuries as reasons why we cannot be generous. 
And now we put ourselves into a place where I can't even bless my neighbor because I am shackled to my own luxuries. I am shackled to the things that are now a necessity. Once you buy the car, it's a necessity. And now if you want to be generous to somebody, you and I have to consult our car payment before we can give. I'm not joking. This is what happens to us. And God does not want us to live in a way that we have to choose between tithing, giving, generosity, and the lifestyle that we live. But what happens is those luxuries creep in and they taint our perspective. And here's what the, the last one is. That if you and I can shift our hearts, if we can shift our perspective, then it will eventually end up in a behavior shift. Jesus says it this way, you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one and you'll hate the other. And serving is really all about behavior. It really has nothing to do at the time with the desire that you can serve something that you don't like. I just mentioned it. Every one of us knows somebody who's bought a car or a house and they've had some type of buyer's remorse and they become a servant to the payment. They become a servant to the thing that was supposed to be a blessing. And what happens is then you want to make decisions financially. You want to make decisions to do things for a kingdom impact. And you're torn. And I'm torn. Why? Because we've put ourselves in a place where we have to be a servant of the things that were supposed to be a blessing. And we have to make decisions in such a way that we say, God, how do you want me to honor you with everything that I do? Here's the thing that got me. Uh, number one is this. I must learn to see my life as a tool for the kingdom. Your entire life is a tool for the kingdom. It's the reason God put you here. He, he wants you to, to enjoy life. He wants you to have some nice things. He wants you to be able to enjoy the money that you work for and that he provided. He wants you to do all of those things. But his primary goal for you and me is that other people know Jesus. That is the primary goal of the believer. Because once again, one day we all leave this earth and only what you do for Christ will last. And what has to happen is our behavior, the way we spend, the way that we give, the way that we finance our future has to align with that. What would it look like if you saw your house as a tool for the kingdom? What would it look like if you saw the things that you wore? God, how does this bring honor to you? God, how does the way that I spend my money bring honor to you? How does the way that I raise my children bring honor to you? How does the way that I'm disciplined and I take care of my body bring honor to you? We have to learn to see our lives as a tool for the kingdom. And then let me tell you, this was probably the single most convicting thing about this scripture. When I thought about the idea that you and I can't serve two masters, Here's what started coming to my head. I'm like, God, I don't serve my money. <laughs> serve money. I'm a pastor. What do I look like serving money? By the way, I think that some of y'all think we rich. <laughs> pastor Johnny, you should be saying amen a little louder than that. Thank you. <laughs> no, y'all. No, we don't do this for the money. But you say, God, how do I not? I say, God, I don't serve money. But here's what I realize. It's not money that I'm serving. Deep down. What I'm serving is myself. And what happens is I see my life as a way to build my own kingdom. God says, you can't build your kingdom and mine. You have to choose. Do you care more about your legacy and your family or my legacy and the spiritual family? 
Do you care more about your career and your mission or the gospel mission and advancing the great commission? Do you care about more about your posterity or do you care that you are bringing a great amount of people with you to heaven? And when you and I shift to all of those things, what we'll realize is that everything in our life should be a tool for the kingdom. And last point, 100% of our income should be used to honor God. Let me tell you, I've been a tither for a long time. My parents instilled it in me. My dad's not a pastor or anything like that. As a matter of fact, he's an entrepreneur and he started his own business. He was in the military, a normal working man. And one of the things he instilled in us early was tithing and generosity. And so it's never been difficult for us to tithe. But let me tell you the trap that I fell into. I said, God, I tithe, I give you the 10%, and that is my pass to do whatever I want with the other 90%. And so I tithe, and then I buy the car that I want. I tithe, I buy the house that I want. I tithe, I eat out as much as I want. I tithe, I do whatever I want. But what happened was I had created this separate kingdom. And I said, God, I give your kingdom 10%, and I devote the 90% to building the kingdom that I want to build. And what we need to do is say, God, how do I see every dollar that I spend as a way to honor you? What would your savings look like if you said, God, I want to honor you with my savings? How would you and I manage our money differently if we said, God, what would it look like to honor God with how much money you spend eating out? What would it look like to honor God with how much money you spend being generous? Mind you, I can't put numbers or percentages on any of these things. This is a personal conviction thing. And all of us have been in that place before where we just have to wrestle. God, where is the line for me? I can't tell you what type of car to buy or to drive. For some of you, me trying to buy the car that you can afford, I would literally have to mortgage my house, my future, and then sell my firstborn, which at this point, I mean, I've I've considered it because he's a little annoying. But but the point is, percentage-wise, it's different. So I can't tell you what's too much. Only you have to work out that thing in your own heart. You know where the line is. And for me, that line shows up in different places. This is the last thing I'll share with you, and we're going home. When it comes to honoring God with our income and not building our own kingdom, I like clothes. I like sneakers, right? I like to look and feel good. And there's a particular pair of sneakers that I've been wanting for a long time. And they're not that expensive. As a matter of fact, they're only about like $100 or something like that. Some of you are like, oh my goodness, $100. And some of you are like, that's it for a pair of shoes? That's a great deal. The point is, a buddy of mine bought them already. And he's like, man, it's $100. Just go buy a pair of shoes. You're fine. You work hard. Like, your wife works full time. Like, just go buy the pair of shoes. And this is what I told him. I said, man, for me, I can't buy them yet because it's not about the dollar amount. It's about the vanity that I know is in my heart. And I know I want them to be flashy. I know I want them because I want to show off. I know I want them because I didn't have them growing up. I know I'm building my ego by buying them. And so it's not about the dollar amount. It's about the heart behind why I'm spending. And in your life and in my life, we have to ask God, how do I honor you with every single dollar that I have? And when you and I get there, I think we see the culmination of what Jesus wanted us to see, which is at the end of his sermon, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. 
and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring his own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Worry-free living is a result of complete dependence on God. Complete dependence means, God, I don't need to buy a certain car to stroke my ego. God, I don't need to live in a certain house to compete with my brother. God, I don't need the luxuries. It doesn't mean you can't have them. I'm not telling you go and mortgage your house or do whatever it is, like sell it. I'm not, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is how do you and I learn to depend on God for everything that we need? And I think that path starts with us being generous and saying, God, I want to store up treasures where you want me to store up my treasures at. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this promise that if we seek first the kingdom of his God, the kingdom of God, and we live righteously, you will give us everything that we need. God, sometimes that means that you give us stuff that we want. And let me tell you, we all like when you give us what we want. But the truth is, Father, that we trust you even when you don't give us the things that we want. Because we trust God that sometimes you keep things away from us because you know what it would do to our hearts and you know what it would do to our minds. So God, help us to free ourselves from the vanity that sometimes clouds the American culture. God, help us to free ourselves from uh, being subjects to brands and marketing and chasing this quote-unquote American dream and building our own kingdoms and getting the biggest house we can have and making our family the best family it can be and making our kids these all-stars and athletes and all of those things, God. And help us to have a kingdom perspective to say more than anything, we want to honor you. And if those things honor you, we will do it. But God, help us to eliminate and eradicate anything that doesn't and trust that in the meantime, you will take care of every other thing that we need. Father God, we're grateful for you and what you're doing in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody together say it. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we clap our hands?